is you've often got a lot of people that can train very hard. But if their execution is also very, very poor, that volume is then not quite as effective because the repetitions that they're performing, yes, they're hard reps, but they're not actually quality reps that are going to really stimulate much growth out of these exercises. But what it can do is drive a lot of fatigue, especially let's say you've got someone doing a, a hack squat, right? If someone's putting their feet extremely high, they're trying to train the quads, but they're putting their feet extremely high, loading the hack squat up extremely heavy, barely getting any flexion, and then they're just dropping it up and down, but training better hard, they're not really going to get much quality stimulus out of that set. No. What will happen though, they are going to come away from that session feeling completely wrecked. So in essence, yes, they've had a good hard training session, but they've not really got any good good quality work in place because they've just been sending it to the mood with shite execution. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Think Big Bodybuilding Media. I'm Scott McNally, and today it is my great pleasure to be joined by IFBB Pro, Kuba Challen. What's going on, brother? What's going on, man? I'm looking forward to this. So Dude. I've been, uh, to be honest, I've been looking forward to this all week. So I'm uh, winning a countdown. Surprise, surprise, guys. We've got some oh, new programming for you. Uh, what are we going to do here, Kuba? Because we, we talked about this, uh, you know, a month or so ago, right after you were on BSG. I was like, Kuba, you have just so much passion for training and you connect to everybody on, on, on our shows. You know, I was like, we it, it would be a shame to limit you to the occasional interview. What do you think about occasionally coming on? Maybe we'll do like a once a month segment. We don't have a name for this, guys. Maybe you can help us out. Or Kuba, have you come up with a name? What are, what are you thinking here? I haven't just yet, but. What we might do is to get some suggestions from the audience, get yeah. the audience involved, I think, get some comments going, and uh, we might be able to sit from and get some options going. So that might that might be the best idea, to be honest. I'm not think, really that creative when it comes when it comes to actually coming up with names. I never am. Well, that's all right. So, we could we'll let the audience help us figure it out. And I got to tell you, man, this is cool to have you on. You know, when we first started uh, Advices Radio way way back in the day, uh, Jordan Peters was one of our first hosts. And I know just having talking to you a, a lot that you've been highly influenced by Jordan, you know, that, that now it's been the evolution of how Jordan's kind of evolved into like all these other people because you're, you know, you're influenced by Jordan, but at the same time, you also do your own thing. So it's, it's kind of cool, man. You're carrying the torch for hardcore UK bodybuilding on the channel. And I freaking love that. Yeah, absolutely. I think Jordan's not only been inspiration for me in, uh, when it comes to training, but it's been somewhat of a mentor when it comes to even life in general. So it's uh, it's been great having him around. And to be honest, I'm still very fortunate to have him around pretty much every day right now. So there's nothing that I do generally when it comes to my own process that I don't really share with Jordan. And I, I at least ask him for the opinion or, you know, at least cast an eye and see what he thinks because he's very, of the recent years, Jordan has changed a lot. He's very objective now and He's more of a thinking man right now. Yeah. In past, I think he was very, uh, he was always very locked in, right? Yeah. Where there, there was literally no outside noise. It was just, you know, a man on a mission. It's still don't much that way now. But, but I do think Jordan has got a greater ability to almost think and see through things a lot more, which hmm. makes him extremely valuable when it comes to asking questions. And when it comes to actually getting his second opinion. That's cool, man. And, you know, I was telling Dave Crossland the other day that we were going to do this. And he, he spoke so highly of you. He was like, you know, Cuba has come such a long way and evolved so much in a relatively short period of time. I mean, you've you've put a lot together like you've you've done a lot, man, and you, you still are. So I'll be excited to see where you take this. You give so much back to bodybuilding, be it the information you share, the stuff you do on your social media, uh, the gym. The motivation, they, they, you know, just there's a lot that goes into everything you've done and are doing. So it's it's my honor to have you here, man, and to be a, a part of this. So what are we going to do here? I know you've got a bunch of stuff planned. Um, what are your thoughts? Oh, man, there's, there's so much stuff we can do. We can even do people's assessments when it comes to the form clips. We can do all sorts. Okay. I mean, the, the, I actually sent you over a bit, of a, a bit of a script, right? And I don't really want to work from a script, but... We do have a lot of topics that we can actually cover. 
for people to actually get something out of this because ultimately this is why we do it right we do it to spread the word of bodybuilding and try and give back to the people as much as we physically can so there's a there's a lot that we can do i think on some sometimes what we can actually do is devote certain episodes to actually breaking down to people form and execution and be able to help them out with the training or even any programming questions any questions when it comes to the contest prep even you know i know that you do the drugs and stuff but we could even look at people's plans for the off seasons and and kind of break them down and see what we can actually share with them and have an input both me and you from what we know experience we've had and what we could potentially i wouldn't say improve in the process but what we can pick out and be like right let's look at this objectively and let's look at them outside in and let's see what you know what else we can tweak to make this better uh, from from our perspective but yeah there's so much we can talk about and so much we can do really to to, to try and give back and uh bring a little bit of a fresh fresh vibe right absolutely and and that's the thing is everybody you, you said fresh vibe everybody has their own perspectives so we could take a question that we asked dave on drugs and stuff and he's going to give an answer that's going to be you know, maybe similar, but there's going to be some u- unique aspects compared to what you would say or what I would say or what Scott Stevenson would say or skip, you know. So it, it, it's always that's kind of a big part of what I've wanted this channel for is to not just have one person to tell you this is the way that things have to be done. You know what I mean? But to give a lot of people's perspectives, because not everything works the same for everyone. Right. This actually gives me a great topic. Right. For today. OK. And let me know what you think to this. So. Have you come across a, a recent culture shift where you've got a lot of people saying that a lot of the information that we have right now, or even a lot of the methods, is overcomplicating stuff when it comes to training, when it comes to nutrition, and when it comes to even the drugs, right? Yeah. I think that that's a, a lot what it gets thrown around at the moment that everyone's up like overcomplicating stuff. Like it's it's almost like actually thinking about what you do is seen as overcomplicating and Looking back at what Dorian did with logbooking, looking back at what he did with his training, and I'm going to use an example because he's probably the greatest example that we can use for what we talk about across any any topic, really. Now, Dorian always, always mapped out a, a direction in, in which he wanted to go in. That was his off-season and prep, right? Okay. He always planned meticulously whether it came to his training or nutrition or drugs. Now, having that same culture shift at the moment and, and even people speaking about certain processes, it's almost seen that certain people start to attack it and say it's overcomplicated and, you know, you don't need to do that. But it's like all of this stuff that most of us talk about right now that some people might actually seem or might think it's overcomplicating, it's literally what Dorian did 20 plus years mm. ago. When it comes to training execution, when it comes to managing recovery, management, managing fatigue, when it comes to pretty much the PEDs, and when it, even when it comes to mapping out the way he structured his off-season and his prep, right? So I do think a lot of people can get into almost a little bit of a, uh, I would say, fall for social media bodybuilding in a fashion, but I do think a lot of people dismiss acceptance of new research that comes through or even accepting that there is a better way to do things right now than mm. there was 10 or 15 years ago and, and even thinking about what we do with training right it hasn't really changed it hasn't really evolved the only thing that's different now is yes we've got uh, we've got different machines available we've got more cables available but if we had access to same machine 20 years ago and that's a question for you if we had access to all the machines that we have right now, the cable work and everything else, uh, you know, with the fancy attachments and, and what have you, do you honestly think Dorian would not be utilizing all this stuff right now? Oh, absolutely he would. He would do whatever was available. You know what I mean? I mean, he used he used hammer strength machines, right? He, he used a Nautilus machine. And if those things were not, I mean, like he used what he had at the time, he used the best tools he had available. But listen, I'm going to, I want to, um, I want to just kind of to almost oppose a little bit of what you're saying. I almost feel like we're not in the same place. We, we are in a better place today. I think that when I look back, when I first started training, I would see some guys that had incredible legs, some guys that didn't have great legs, you know? 
And I'd always been told it was genetics. You know, oh, that guy has great quads because he has better genetics for legs than everybody else. And maybe he had like like better ergonomics genetically, like his body was set up in a way that he could squat that went to the quads and those grew versus say all going to the glutes and the hips. Um, but today now we recognize like, oh, well, I can put my feet up on heel. Or, you know, I can lift my heels. I can adjust to this and I can I can achieve a squat that benefits my quads. Man, we didn't have that stuff when I was a kid, like any of that. You either squatted heavy and you grew quads or you squatted heavy and you didn't. You know what I mean? I absolutely agree. It's, it's not necessarily the tools that you have. It's how you use the tools, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, I think that, that's a huge point. That's a huge point right now. And it, it's it's quite hard to get the balance right at the moment with even trying to help people, right? Because let me tell you one, one of the posts that I made on uh, on training and, and actually bicep curling, right? Yeah. It went pretty viral. It got like, I think it's probably up to like eight, 800K views or whatever it is. And it's literally people arguing in the comments about what i've said and the biggest thing is a lot of people like oh this makes sense i've tried it you know it felt amazing uh, but then you've got all these people just coming and saying yeah but yeah but drugs this that, oh, you know that, i see that all the time man yeah absolutely and uh, and it's super simple what we do right now is not really overcomplicating things as long as you do things mm-hmm. with effort and you're not getting paralyzed by the research. You're not getting paralyzed by overload of the information that you see right now. I think everyone can always learn something from someone, especially when it comes to training, because that is one thing that will never change. Let, let's talk about, let, let's, let's look from this perspective, right? You can have your nutrition absolutely spot on. And we yeah. both know, and we can both agree, when it comes to the enhancements, it, it doesn't really matter that much. It's extremely simple, right? And even at the very top level, it's probably much simpler than people actually realize and think. Oh, yeah. With, with what people actually do. Yeah. Yeah, I feel the, like there's younger guys that are doing every little nuanced uh, movement that they can in their training, and they're, they've got their PEDs all down to the milligram. And when we look at, I mean, you know a lot of guys who are at an extremely high level. A lot of those guys don't even know about a lot of that stuff. You know what I mean? They just They just take what they need to take and go. It's extremely simple. The, the The biggest difference at the very top is obviously genetics, yes. But I also see the biggest difference at the very top is people's ability to train and adhere to the plan. That is the biggest game changer, in my opinion. Yeah. Especially when you work with individuals who are not the 1% or even the 5% of genetics in the world. Once you nail down the nutrition and, and the, you know, very simple stuff, the, the source. Right. It, doesn't really differ that much. The biggest difference then comes down to training intensity, training execution, the setup of the programming and their ability to actually string weeks together of consistency with the nutrition, with the training and being able to accurately follow everything to a T. So it's extremely simple. Bodybuilding is extremely simple. It's almost like applying progressive overload into every single area of your life where you're trying to get better at recovery. You're trying to get better at eating the food. You know, the sauce, you probably get smarter with it and you actually take less and get more from it because the food and the training recovery facilitates that and so on. Yeah. But the biggest thing that we don't see really matched together at the moment is people have stopped looking at the guys who can actually train with immense intensity and can actually articulate what they do and how they do it, and simply because these guys are assisted. Right. It's almost like that advice can actually get dismissed and and almost shelved Yeah. in favor of guys that just claim research or are, I would say, uh, research-based. And most of these guys, right, and most of these guys that claim that, one, I don't think I've ever seen them do a hard set in their life. Two... They don't know what it feels like with 500 pounds on your back and trying to do a full set of squats with that for reps. Yeah. Like, the, the, the game changes dramatically once you get to that level. So I feel like at the moment, we need to merge all the wonderful data that's coming out alongside of accepting that some of these guys that have been doing this for years, they can actually offer something of value for you to actually learn from. 
I think that most of the people who watch this programming get that. But on the, you know what I mean? We're kind of have more like the hardcore following, but I do, I do see that. I do see that, especially there's, 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 there's a, there's a, I, I, I keep wanting to mention names and I'm going to avoid doing that, but I have seen that a lot. And, um, I wanted to ask you though. So on this note, let's dig into it a little further. One of the, the bullet points you had was understanding training volume and training to your needs. And I think this ties in because as our intensity changes, our volume changes, right? Um, yep. How do we find that balance? Let's give some, let's give everybody a take home tip that they can add to their training right now to better adjust their volume level to make sure that they're getting the most out of it. Cause like you said, man, here's the number one thing I see is I see guys that are not doing enough volume, honestly, because they're trying to do this like uh, push pull legs, top set back off set, but their top sets aren't intense enough yet. And I don't necessarily blame them. I don't blame all of them. There are those of us that have kind of like not all the screws are tight enough in our brains and we're going to push to that extreme and nobody has to teach us what doing the hardest thing in the world is. But for a lot of people, I have seen a top set that I say, oh man, that guy wasn't even near failure. And there's no way that he's going to be able to grow the back that he wants by only doing one set like that per week or every five days. You know what I'm saying? So I think in that case, that guy needs more volume to make up for that until he can figure out his, his uh, you know, how to build his intensity, but where would you take this? How would you explain this topic to them? So firstly, I think people need to have a, a, a clear understanding of what training volume is. To most people, when you speak to them about training volume, they literally think it's just sets. Now, when we actually break down your training volume, it's your training intensity, your range of motion, your training uh-huh. execution, your execution, your rep range, and to a degree, your training volume differs between your actual exercise selection. So let's take, for example, three sets of hat squats versus three sets of leg extension. Yeah. Not all training volume is created equal. Hmm. Some exercises will drive much more stimulus and some exercises can actually drive an immense amount of stimulus with an immense amount of fatigue as well. So when you approach or when you speak to someone who, let, let's say this person's got no understanding of what training volume is and they've just first started training and they start with a, you know, a, a, an X training plan that's got set amount of working sets, set amount of, um, set amount of exercises and reps. Yeah. So let's say that person starts with 10 working sets per session. Initially, that amount of volume may not actually be sufficient for them to actually see that much growth, especially if they've been training for a little while, if they're not a complete newbie. If they're a complete newbie, a very small amount of volume is going to see some decent results, even if the quality of that volume is shite. So even that quality of the volume with the intensity and execution is out of the window, if they're a newbie, they'll still get some gains. Let's say it's someone that's got over that newbie stage. Okay, right? yeah. And then they need to they need to do something to then continue to progress. So then you break things down and you put things on the table, right? This is your setup now. You're not seeing results. Let's see what is missing. Train intensity, train execution, and then you look at number of sets. Then you look at the setup as well. Yeah. I think the single biggest thing is as well is you've often got a lot of people that can train very hard. But if their execution is also very, very poor, that volume is then not quite as effective because the repetitions that they're performing, yes, they're hard reps, but they're not actually quality reps that are going to really stimulate much growth out of these exercises. But what it can do is drive a lot of fatigue, especially let's say you've got someone doing a, a hack squat, right? If someone's putting their feet extremely high, they're trying to train the quads, but they're putting their feet extremely high, loading the hack squat up extremely heavy, barely getting any flexion, and then they're just dropping it up and down, but training better hard, they're not really going to get much quality stimulus out of that set. No. What will happen though, they are going to come away from that session feeling completely wrecked. So in essence, yes, they've had a good hard training session, but they've not really got any 
good good quality work in place because they've just been sending it to the mood with shite execution. Yeah. So step number one, introduction to training volume. Your sets, intensity, range of motion, even your tempo, your tempo can actually increase your training volume too. So let's say you've got your client, you've got this person, right? You've managed to get them on a, a session with you, Scott, right? You've got him in your, in your basement and you're doing a hat squat. Yeah. All of a sudden, you've got this person, you've reduced his load by 20%. You've shifted his foot stance right down, you know, probably max what he can get without his heels coming off, still maintaining full contact pressure of the foot of the platform, right? Yeah. All of a the sudden, they're getting a huge amount of knee flexion. And then now, what you've incorporated is a slow eccentric, so three to four seconds down, and then potentially even a pause in the stretch. Yes, those are great. So all of a sudden, you could, have, you could have that person that was doing four working sets of hack, not getting anything from it, to now doing two sets, two working sets of hack, and now coming away from that hack squat with the legs fully blown and getting tremendous amount of quality stimulus in place. Okay. So not all training volume is created equal. Your training yeah. volume will always be fluid. So your training volume will vary, will, will actually go up and down depending on the variables that we've just been speaking about, which is your training execution, your range of motion, your tempo, even your exercise setup. And actually, I'm going to give you some credit as well. Uh, hypertrophy coach, Joe Bennett, just posted a, a, an amazing picture of Michaela doing a squat. Okay. He actually put progressive overload is not just load, it's also a change in your execution. Mm. And again, a change in such execution is going to then limit the amount of direct volume Michaela can handle. Absolutely. So she's going to have to now potentially even lower her number of sets. So this is where I don't tend to agree with the models of people doing huge shifts in volume where they are being extremely progressive with training volume over a, a, a training block. And the reason for that is if you're working with a client and you're working on his execution and you know that client is training progressively harder and progressively better, that means that although his training volume may actually remain the same, the training volume actually increases because he's training harder, he's yeah. be actually better execution, and he's training with more tempo. Do you follow me? Absolutely. And I'm asking myself, how do we, so how do we help people to improve their execution in this conversation? Because it, it, I, I feel like you explained, you, you explained how you could do that on a hack squat really well, actually. Like, yeah. I think if everybody took those cues and they applied it to their hack squat and they weren't doing those things before, making that set harder is going to definitely make it, you know, they're going to have to reduce the weight. There's no question. They're not going to be able to handle the same amount of volume. I can think of specific instances of clients that I've looked at their sets and we've made a small tweak and that small tweak changes the whole thing. They end up getting a lot more sore. They didn't need as much weight. Is there a, is there a way we can explain this that will apply to all of their exercises? It's a big ask. You know, it's a big ask for me. Is there a way we can explain this to say, hey, when you go in the gym, I don't care what you're training. Think about these things. Every single exercise I go to, every single set that I do, if I do not come away from that exercise with the muscle that I'm actually trying to train blown up, and I mean, after that set, I need to experience a degree of pain in that muscle. And inevitably, that there's going to be a pump present. Yeah. If you are doing any exercise and you don't, and you do not come away from it with a slight degree of pump or pain inside the muscle, your execution needs adjusting. Now, this is exactly why I am so against people training that people saying train for a pump. If your training execution and your range of motion and tempo is nailed down, a pump is going to be there as a byproduct of that. So if you are training right now and you are lifting heavy, heavy loads, you're training hard, but you're coming away from that exercise and you don't really know what area, let's say, let's say for example, you've done an, a set of incline Smith. Yeah. You're training your chest, you're trying to get a big chest. You've done a, a set of incline Smith with four plates aside and, and you've done eight reps. 
if you come away from that exercise and your chest is not screaming full of blood and you are in pain across your chest, right? Something has gone wrong. If you come away from that exercise and you're just in pain everywhere, your joints are hurt and your shoulder feels like it's going to fall off and you don't really have a pump anywhere, the likelihood of those reps is probably looking like they're just power reps, right? You just yeah. power press. Yeah. So I think anyone trying to work out whether they're on right path or not, you should always gauge it by almost sensation. Like you should feel the muscle that you're trying to train quite a lot. If you don't, something's off. And this doesn't mean, this is this is not us. And by the way, people need to not misinterpret this. You should never go into exercise and look for sensation. Like sensation should happen as a byproduct of your execution and setup of that exercise. Does that make sense? Can you say that again in another way? Because I don't know if my brain connected to it. Right. Let's say you're doing a lap pull down. Yeah. You're trying to train your lats. Yeah. If you do that set of lat pull downs and you cannot feel your lats, right? You come yeah. away from that set and you can't you can't really feel your lats, but you can feel a little bit something in your back, maybe, but you don't know what. And you can feel a ton of bicep. Something is off with that setup. Yeah. Now, to fix this, you should not go into that exercise and then all of a sudden try and just feel your lats. You should then look at what it is that you need to do with that exercise to make it better so that you can actually go in, do an intense set, but then your back is actually going to get blown. Yeah. So, yeah. so in short, I'll, I'll go over it again. Any exercise you go into, how you set up that exercise and how you actually perform that exercise should lead to good sensation. You shouldn't go into an exercise and all of a sudden do it extremely slow or do some, you know, stupid stuff that we do see on Instagram just to try and get that sensation. Like that sensation should be there from the way you actually do that exercise. Yeah. I wish I had figured that out sooner on my lats and, on, on, you know, speaking of pull down for the longest time, man, I was doing pull downs with elbows out the way you see a lot of people bringing it down like this. And I, I mistook it. I would get lat soreness, but a lot of it was like up in the teres, you know? And it wasn't until I adjusted that technique, elbows kind of coming down in front of me more. Uh, but you know what? It, it took a long time. Of, yeah. It took a long time of me like having to like dial the weight back and actually have to break it down for myself. It's tough to do that, man, because especially if you've been even at it for a few years, like think about how many reps you've done the wrong way you know what i'm saying and to to make that small technique change it can take a lot and it can take some humility too i think one of the only reasons i was able to really figure that out is because i was doing it in my home gym i'm going to be completely honest i i had the opportunity to like look stupid if it didn't work the way i wanted it to or if i didn't look the way people are supposed to look when they do lat pull downs until i actually you know was able to make it work for me i would love it if we could if we could share something here today, and I don't know if we can, that will allow people to to walk away and figure those things out for themselves on all their body parts, anything they're struggling with. We see the guys walking around with great shoulders and no chest. You know, we see the guys walking around with great biceps and no back. You know, we can see like things are getting in the way here. How how can I correct that so that you're using that target muscle? So I'll use myself as an example, right? I, uh, majority of my training career to begin with any back exercise I did, because again, the setup of my exercise was completely shite and I was using far too much load that I could handle. Uh, I basically trained my biceps okay. for most exercises. So I think the, 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 the most of the conversation needs to be is how can people look to improve the weaker body parts? Yeah. Right? So how can people walk away from this conversation and, and think, think outside the box and think, what is it I need to do now to bring up whatever body part that I'm lacking? In most cases, people just add extra training days or extra training volume, right? Right. More of the same that wasn't working to begin more with. More of the same. Now, more of the same is not going to elicit a different result. 
like you're doing the same stuff you was doing before, it's not going to change. Even if you had more of it, it's not going to have any benefits. So if your stimulus that you're getting on your back, for example, and mine was pretty shit, if I did more of it, it's just going to be the same result over and over again. Just more bicep and more bicep. Now, in 2019, I actually spent a lot of time trip. 2019 or 2020. I think it was around that time. I, I okay. can't remember to be exact, but around that time, right? Yeah. And at that time still, that is when I literally had a back like a bit. I had no back, Scott. And I kid you not, I had I won my pro card with no back. No and kidding. Yeah, it, it was it was poor. And what did you think at the time where you're like, oh, I just have to do, you know, until you figured it out, were you thinking like, oh man, I just must need to do more deadlifts or something? I was just like, I need to do more deadlifts. I need to do more bent over rows. I need to just get stronger. And yeah. mechanically, I'm not really built for a deadlift. Like when, when, when you look at me trying to do a deadlift, it's like I have to do a squat because my arms are relatively short. And when you compare the length of my arms to the length of my actual quads, my femurs, right? It's... It, it's not a great. I, I'm like I'm never going to be a strong deadlifter. I have to accept that. Okay. Uh, but anyway, topic. Yeah. I had to really, really look at my training, and it wasn't up until the, up until the point when I actually had some sessions with Jordan, and he actually showed me what the difference is between upper back training and lat training. Ah. And this is where the light bulb clicked, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like I've never actually felt sensation like that ever in my back. And all of a sudden, I actually start to make progress. So I would literally say I've only been training my back properly in the past three to four years because I never knew how to train it properly. And I train my back in the same way I did all my other body parts, especially back in the day. It was literally like going to the gym and it would literally be like a suicide mission. <laughs> I would literally do it. And it I kid you not, it would literally be like, right. Today, I'm going to go in, I'm just going to bury myself. And that was every single session. Yeah. That can only take you so far. Just because you are getting good results training this way does not mean that it's forever, first and foremost. And it does not mean that that's going to give you the results that you need for the remainder of your career. And this is where there's a lot of people that are blinded, blinded by the results that they're getting sometimes. And they fail to see that something may need to change for them to have longevity and progression and then actually fix the weaker body parts and actually bring them up. Because my back is still behind somewhat, but you wouldn't look at my shots now and think it's a massive weakness. Yeah. And back in those days, Scott, when I turned around, there was nothing there. It's almost like it, the, the way I saw it when I figured the back thing out was it, and it was late for me. Like I'm talking, like I'd done a lot of training before I figured that out. I trained with good guys too, guys that had really good backs and I watched them progress. And I, I thought to myself like, man, I'm just not making the same progress as these guys are. And I didn't know why. And it was really just, it was very small. You know, I was doing the, the same hard work they were. It just wasn't going to the right places. But once I figured it out, I'm telling you, Kuba, it was almost like getting newbie-like gains. I was activating the muscle in a way it had never been activated before. And expanding. So one thing that we have to make people aware of is having that self-awareness yeah. to almost accept. And I think it, it has to start with self-awareness and, and almost dropping your ego because that's yeah. exactly what I had to do. Like I, I was the guy that I could bend over row four plates for reps, numerous sets, but it wasn't really a bent over row. It was more of a glorified shrug because my traps grew, my traps grew, my bicep grew, my forearms grew, but I had no back. So it did me no favors. Now you take somebody else that naturally has an amazing connection with his lats and upper back. That's all they might need. They might just need a barbell and a dumbbell and that will do them. Yeah. However, this is not the case for everyone. And this is where we do have to look outside the box. And this is where... In, in, in some people's opinions, this is where we do might have to, we might actually have to overcomplicate things ah. in, in their eyes to change the execution and implement certain movements that are not going to be the best. Even like the, the seated single arm pull down or, or a single arm pull down in general, which for lats is your best option. So if you are struggling to develop your lats, that's probably something you may have to do even when you don't want to. So you have to accept that you will need to almost do something that you're not necessarily a fan of in order to bring up your body parts. I'll give you another example, right? 
myself, um, when I'm looking to bring up my chest, like I love pressing, Scott. And I mean, me too. I, I love, I love the Smith machine. Like any pressing, even flat barbell press, right? Okay. It, it's favorite exercise of all time. But I haven't, I have not flat barbell pressed in four years' time because I was just getting a big tricep. I wasn't yeah. getting, a, <laughs> getting no chest. Are you strong on that movement too? On the yeah, barbell press? I've done, I've done almost five plates on, on flat bench. Okay. And your chest, yeah. even with that, you felt like it didn't, that wasn't like, you felt like your triceps were a prime mover, huh? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In, okay. in a flat, the, the way I can, the way I can bench, it's always, it's going to be a little bit of peck, but unless I was to put myself in a, in a risky position yeah, and actively try and get a little bit more stretch out of the peck, which you shouldn't on a flat bench. It's always going to be, you know, a bit of a power movement where I get a little bit of chest, but it's not quite as much as I would on, for example, a, a good quality uh, converging machine press okay. or even a dumbbell press. So my point here is, if you're doing an exercise just for the fun of it, but you know you've got physique goals that that you need to, you know, think about, you may actually have to do something that's not quite as exciting such mm. as maybe even doing a cable fly before you're pressing. Like if you really want to keep your flat bench in, start with a cable fly instead. Make sure that your chest is fully blown. You've got a good amount of quality stimulus in your chest whilst it's fresh. Yeah. And then you go into your heavy compound work. Um, if you're, you know, you're not willing to uh, part ways with your favorite exercises, you might have to find a way to do that. And, and that's something that actually Flex Lewis did. For majority of his career, if you pay attention, any of these guys that, that have been watching Flex Lewis, for example, every single chest session, he always started with a chest fly. Hmm. Now, this is where you have to think outside the box. If you are looking to bring up your body parts, first and foremost, and let's talk about a little bit of a breakdown of what people should be looking at doing, right? The first thing you should always do is look at your training exercise, training exercise execution. Then you should look at the exercise selection. One shot, you want your exercise execution and your exercise selection, and then you've got, you know, them first two variables nailed. Then you've got your control and tempo nailed down. That's your three variables. Your fourth variable then you can look at is potentially looking at the number of sets that you do. Whereas at the moment, I always feel like people fail to look at the first three variables that were mentioned. And they yeah. skip they skip the most important things, which is the execution setup and, and whatever exercise you're doing, and they shoot straight to just doing more sets. Yeah. So yeah. more is not the answer. You can only do what you can recover from. And you will get to a point in your journey where the amount that you can recover from actually gets critically less and less. So you will get to a point where you may need to do less in order to get more results. Your training frequency may need to come down. I mean, back in the day, I could train six days a week, seven days a week and make progress. Right now, five days per week maximum. And that's when I'm, you know, charged up and when, I'm, when, I, can, when I can recover well. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, it's between four to five days per week training if I'm going all out. And that's literally all I can recover from. So you have to be able to see progression in the gym floor. If you are not seeing progress, you're not seeing your ability to get more reps start to, you know, rock it up, or you're not actually physically getting stronger. Potentially, you're leaving some progress on the table. And again, you're not going to be getting stronger forever. So don't expect that you'll just continue to get stronger. But you have to see a degree of progression across a training block as a almost a measuring stick of whether you are doing, you know, the right amount of volume, let's say. For sure. So, so yeah. I got a question for you. I got a question yeah. for you. So I, I I like this idea of we we kind of used our both of ourselves as examples, and I think that people really can connect to that. Um, you know, tell us about Meg. What's what would you say? What does she think her biggest weak link is this season or this past season? And what have you guys done differently to help to improve that? She she also had a weaker back. Don't forget, Meg actually transitioned from from bikini to figure. Yeah. So Meg needed to build a, a ton of density in general, um, especially for figure, because it's a very unique class where you need all the shape in the world. 
I mean, oh, yeah. the taper that you need needs to be literally like boom and then boom. It's just perfect. Figures like some, it's it's the division where things just have, it's the equivalent of a, a bodybuilder doing a front and rear relaxed. You can't hide anything. It's just simply the shape. Boom, that's yeah. it. You're done. You know, thank you. Next. That's it. So structure wise, she's always been suited more to figure because she is quite broad. She does have a tight waist. Um, and she does have decent pair of quads as well. Yeah, she does, definitely. But the biggest thing that we need to work on is not just her density everywhere, but she needed more V-taper. She needed more shape. Like, when we talk about shape, and we look at the top 10 girls in figure in the world, the shape is just, it's exceptional. Oh, so yeah. with Meg, we needed more size everywhere, but we also needed more back, inevitably. Okay. So execution exercise selection, uh, and even now training frequency. Now, another thing that we need to work on with Meg was her glutes. Okay. So, glute work was the priority. What we did to actually bring your glutes up was, firstly, removing, lowering the volume down. So, her volume was quite high initially for her glutes when she trained bikini, but back in those days, every movement that she did she was pretty much using her quads. That's why her quads were very well developed. Okay. So when she did hip thrusts, when she did hip thrusts, it was all quad. When she did try to do, and again, leg press, you can never isolate your glutes. So we're not going to say that, but you can change the way you execute a leg press to bias the glutes a little bit more than the quad, right? Oh yeah. Um, you're not going to isolate them, no, but you will get some, you know, a little bit more glute out of it if you do change your, your stance. But anyway, everything that she did in short, basically trained her quads rather than her glutes. So what we needed to do is strip back her training volume first and strip back the execution. First step was fixing the way she actually performed every, every single exercise. We focused massively on making sure that the execution was there, but more importantly, she needed to come away from these sets and make sure that her glutes was on fire coming away from that set. Yeah. If she kept away from that set, Let's say, for example, we use barbell hip thrust. And I mean, a barbell hip thrust can be a movement that can be easily butchered and it can easily turn into pretty much a quad exercise if you if you put your feet in the wrong position and you're not really and you're not really executing the right way, it's not gonna be a great glute exercise. So at first, every single time she did hip thrust, it was literally like doing a leg press. All I could see is a quads just popping. Yeah. So we changed the execution and every single exercise she came away from, I needed to see the feedback that, yes, my glutes are trashed. My quads are working minimal. So there we go. That We've got a girl that's got a well-developed body part and a weaker body part. And, and that weakness literally came from her more developed body part taking over in all the exercises that she tried to do for the weaker body part. Yeah. So in that instance, instead of adding more sets that would inevitably add more stimulus to the quads, we simply stripped things back and we actually adjusted the volume, adjusted the, the actual frequency, started from scratch and then rebuilt back up. Yeah. And this stuff, everything you're saying here, this, and you mentioned it before, this is where getting complicated, getting overly complicated makes sense. Maybe for a girl who went in and she just immediately had great glute shape or, you know, a guy who goes in and gets great back from just doing what whatever, you know, his normal stuff is. He doesn't necessarily need to break these things apart, but we're all going to have one area or two or more areas that don't respond as well. And that's why I think it is important to to recognize there there is going to be a time where over complicating, I'm using the air quotes, makes sense you know and that's that's what this is absolutely I'll, I'll give you an example right like arm training i was 16 years old and i had, I had like 17 inch arms so okay. when it comes to arm training for me i literally do whatever it doesn't matter what i do yeah because i, I get people like you I, I get i get such a great connection with my bicep and tricep so it does not matter what i do my arms will respond now this does not mean that Someone that has weak arms should do what I do for arms because if they did, they would have no arms. So my point is, if you are looking at any bodybuilder that's your favorite bodybuilder and they've got an amazing body part, 
sometimes it is not a great idea to follow what they do. Oh, yeah. Because that body part may just be their gift. Yeah. So I will tell you straight, like all the training partners that I've had, and even my own training partner, he doesn't do what I do for arms. When it comes to arm training, he has specific work that he needs to do, and he also needs to do more for his arms to actually get the same response. I can get away with doing two, three sets at the end of my push and pull workouts. He cannot. So how many so sets this, do you end up doing per week, say, for buys and tries? It varies up and down. If I want to get my arms a little bit juicier, I, I will sprinkle a little bit more volume in place. But if I don't, it, it can be as low as, you know, if I'm training with a split of two days on, one day on, one day off, one day on, which yeah. is push, pull, rest, legs, rest, it can be as low as two isolation exercises, three to four working sets for tricep and bicep. Okay. Bicep, even two working sets every five days. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How, how, how long are your workouts just out of curiosity on average? Between 90 minutes to two and a half hours. Did you say two and a half hours? Yeah. Okay. It's a a long workout. If it's legs, it it can literally be two and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think people are shying away. People are shying away from that a lot nowadays, especially, especially with your level of intensity, man, that seems like a long, a long workout. So, Let's say I've got a, a session where I've got four hamstring curls, four sets of ha- four sets of hamstring, um, two sets of leg extension, two sets of leg press, two sets of hack, or what, two sets of leg press, one set of hack, and two hip thrusts, for example, right? Okay. That would probably take me around two hours, if not if not just a little bit longer. Okay. With with uh, so, how long does it take to say warm up to that that hard hack squat? probably about 15 20 minutes and then i would probably have between five to ten minutes between the set okay let me ask you how do you how do you get to that peak level of weight on in on such little volume on let's say let's say i'm doing leg press first or hack squat do you want me to take you through the, the warm-up sets yeah 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 how, how does that warm-up look because this is something i find myself explaining to people often I figured it'd be helpful if we're trying to give people things that they can take home. I know this is this podcast is probably going to be pretty dense. I'm thinking because there's a lot of information packed in here. Um, but if people are taking notes, they can always go back and listen to things twice. Yeah, I'd love to hear it, man. I think that would be really good insight for people. How would you yeah, so warm up? We're going to have to do episode two on this topic anyway because I've got I've actually got quite a few things that I want to cover on the on the, on the volume discussion. We can hold but, off on that if you want to. We can talk no, about no, that. No. Okay. Well, you've said it now, so I've got to cover it. <laughs> so, so let's say let, let's say in the session, I'll start with a lion hamstring curl, right? If if I'm doing a, a very set of heavy, a set of very heavy hack squat on the Cybex hack, uh, generally for my isolation work, it would be two to three warm up sets. Yeah. So on hamstring curl, on hamstring curl, I would pick a load that I can do twelve reps with, then a second set that I can do six reps with. And then if I feel like I need another warm-up set, I would then do a third set of three to four reps. And then okay. it would be my working set on the fourth set. And okay. then I would do between two to three working sets on that exercise. Um, if it's my hamstrings, I potentially may even do four sets because then I prefer not to do more exercises. I would rather just get the same amount of volume from that exercise. So let's say I'm doing a full leg day. Instead of doing two hamstring curls in that session, I will just stick to one hamstring curl, blast that off, and then do my quads. Okay. So leg extension, same same principle, two to three. Leg extension, potentially even four if I'm cold. Yeah. So if the weather's like this, if the weather's like this, I potentially even take four warm-up sets. And with leg extension, I do prefer to work in slight high rep range. So first working set, first, sorry, first warm-up set, probably about 15 reps, second 10 um, and the third, probably 10 again. And again, every single rep, I do like to spend a little bit of time in the fully shortened range just to make sure that I am getting enough blood into my quads and make sure that my knees are staying pretty fresh as well. Now, building up to my hack squat. Let's say if I'm doing a working set of seven plates on the Cybex hack. Yeah. I would start with a, a plate for 12 reps. And then... The following warm-up sets and feeder sets are always dictated by how my actual connective tissue feels. If on that given day, my knees are feeling fantastic, I would literally work up in doubles or triples. So I would take two plates, 
double or a triple, three plates, double or a triple, four plates, double or a triple, five, so on, six plates, I would probably only do a single with six plates. Yeah. And then I would go into seven. Okay. So I am building up to that top working weight with as little effort as possible. All my energy and effort is getting saved for that top working set. But you're also ensuring that your your central nervous system is ready for that amount of weight because you would literally get buried if you just tried to, you know, if you tried to go into it cold, right? Absolutely. I, I call it the rehearsal, right? And I think yeah. your warm-up sets is what ultimately is going to dictate how effective that working set is. Because this is where you're, you're rehearsing before the big play, right? So every single rep, every single set you take before the actual working set is always going to prime you for that working set. So when I go into my warm-up sets, I literally treat them with the same amount of respect as I would the working set. So the execution is getting drilled in the same way as I would would my working sets. Because let's say you warm up sloppy and you warm up relaxed. If you warm up sloppy and relaxed, you're not really preparing your body to work. Yeah. So where you actually build up to that working set is very much going to dictate how well you can perform and how safe you can perform as well. Because if your reps are sloppy, building up towards that, your working set's probably going to be sloppy. Now, let's say I'm warming up on any given day and my knees aren't feeling too fresh on that exercise. I may even work up in slightly higher rep ranges. And this is where I may even adjust my top working weight to a lower weight and try and work in higher rep range that's going to be safer. On certain days, I may even implement... Um, a slight pause in the stretch. And the best thing of keeping a logbook is I would always have a reference point of that weight, of that set, working in lower rep range or in higher rep range. Hmm. So I would know where I need to be in order to progress that set. Yeah. Now, having that self-awareness is going to benefit in many, many ways because, again, with progressive overload, we're trying to progress the stimulus. So when we understand that again, going back to the topic of training volume, your training volume is your intensity, your range of motion, and your exercise execution. This is where you can understand that you can actually adjust that working set. You can adjust the tempo. You can adjust the execution to get even more from it. So if you know, let's say I'm getting to that day, and I know that I don't have seven plates in me for whatever reason, it might be connective tissue, might be whatever, whatever else, I may adjust the form and execution of the exercise to still be able to have a progressive set, but just on a different scale. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I think the, I, now let me ask you. Fast, you have to wind me in. You what? If I go too fast, you'll have to wind me in. No, you're good. You're good. I think that we're at a point where we've probably overloaded people. This is a lot to, this is a lot to take in. I wanted to ask you though, we, before we went, before we left, uh, I did put out a thread on Patreon. I didn't tell anybody else that we were doing this, but I told our Patreon people and I got a bunch of people asking questions. So I want to just randomly grab one of our questions, throw it at you. And then I've got a thought too. I'm thinking just listening to this conversation we're having here. This is all such good information. I don't know if people will in on average be able to hang for an entire hour of learning. So you guys tell us, is it overload? Is this too much? Or are you good with this? Because my thought is, Kuba, you mentioned like looking at exercise technique and stuff. We could always do like 25, 30 minute education piece on a topic and also do something else. Also do, you know, look at break down some technique. I think that I think that might be a really good digestible show having segments and stuff. You know what I mean? I'm with it. I'm with it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We're going to we evolve can, this thing as we go then. We can probably get some examples of what we're talking about as well. Oh, you mean like like if we're talking about a particular exercise, have video of that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that'd be a great idea. Um, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk some more about this and we'll figure stuff out. And like I said, too, you guys tell us, the audience, tell us what do you think? Like, are you still waiting for more right now? Are you like, hey, this is enough. I have to listen. Because like Scott Stevenson, Scott goes deep, right? And then yeah, I love it. I love it. I love people, it. And some people do. Some people are like, that's too much. I'm just trying to relax here. I want to learn stuff. But, you know, so we'll see what they say. But uh, I'm thinking if we did like a you know, 30 minute hard segment of 
education. And then we did some other stuff, you know, like I said, maybe some, cause people love doing critiques too. So we could, we could probably help them out with that. You guys just have to let us know, do you want to send critiques in, you know, to get done? And I'm sure Kuba, you can probably get those from social media. I can get those here on, on YouTube and Patreon and everything else. So let me throw this question at you from Chris though. He says, um, let's see, I'll just toss it up on the screen. He says, I'd like to hear you talk with Cuba. He spells you Cuba. Uh, <laughs> probably a typo on a spell correct or something. Um, uh, about just getting big for guys like me that have no interest in doing, doing shows and just enjoy the process of getting big and stronger. If it fits the flow of the show, uh, I seem to be the minority with 90% of the Patreons and listeners seem to be more bodybuilding oriented um, and always looking forward to more shows. You're basically my whole source of entertainment. Thank you, Chris. We appreciate it. So Chris has no interest in bodybuilding as far as the pageantry side of it, but it sounds like I would still definitely call him a bodybuilder, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So Chris just wants to get big, right? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Right, Chris, if you just want to get big, unfortunately, and that's probably a mistake we've all made in the past, please make sure you do not perma-bulk. Mm. So your goal is getting big. You are going to have to sort of have some sort of periodization in your journey or goal of getting big, big. So let's say you've got an off-season, right? Chris, right now you weigh 200 pounds and you want to get to 260, 270. That 260, 270 is not going to happen in one push-up. It, it's it's just not. So, if you want to get to 270 by the end of 2024, and you, let's say you're 220 now, yeah? Yeah, he's a, he was a decent-sized guy. I, I, but we could probably say, let's say 220 just for the sake of conversation. Yeah. 220 for the sake of conversation, and what's he at 270? So he wants to add 50 pounds of body weight, right? Yeah. Your first step now, Chris would be pushing your body weight up 40 pounds if you are quite lean. So let's assume, let's assume Chris is 220, quite lean. Lean yeah. enough to go into a push-up phase and he's hungry enough to go into a push-up phase. Let's plan a 22-week push-up for Chris. And in that 22 weeks, he's going to take his body weight up to 260 pounds. Okay. By that point, Chris should be in a position where he's completely sick of food and inevitably, he's probably going to be getting a little bit softer around the edges, right? So at that point, Chris is going to have a health phase. He's going to back off from pushing. He's going to reduce his uh, creatine right down. Yeah. <laughs> and just have a little bit of time off. Take a deload, you know, relax, hold it a little bit. Inevitably, if his appetite's maxed out, he might actually want to pull back on food in that phase. Yeah. After you've done that for four to six weeks, Chris... This is where you're going to do an eight-week diet or a 10-week diet. In that 10-week diet, you're going to come down to 240, right? You're going to take 20 pounds off. At that point, I am expecting you to be pretty, pretty lean again, ready to go, hungry enough to push again, right? Another 20 weeks of going up, Chris, and you've got 30 pounds to add. That's your goal, 270 ticked off. Yeah. Time frame, 42 weeks. Now, Chris, write that down in your notes, make it happen, and then you can go back to me and Scott and let us know how it how it went. I like the sound of that. Now, on that eight-week like recomp cutting phase where he's coming back down to 240, is he assisted there or is he TRT in order to save that to for that next push-up? What are you thinking? Depends how big he is. Okay. If, if he's quite advanced... I would not recommend dieting on TRT. Okay. Okay. So if, if, if he's relatively fresh and relatively a bit of a newbie, he can, he can do a portion of that on TRT yeah. initially. So, you know, when you, when you first start off and you're holding more body fat, it's always a lot easier to lose body fat, right? Without the risk of losing muscle mass. Sure. But the second he starts to get a little bit leaner, that's when I think, you know, he would need a little bit of, a little bit of catch-up to keep him going. Yeah. Right? So yeah. it depends. It depends. What do you think? What do you think, Scott? Yeah, I, I, I love that idea just overall. And um, I'm I'm with you. I would almost think, I'd think along the same lines, but that's why I was wondering, what do you think? I would think that if he did use gear in that eight-week phase, I wouldn't want to go crazy with it. 
Um, no. I'm working with a guy who I want to say he was 200 pounds when we started. We got him up to 250 over a long period of time. It was over a couple a couple of bulks where we we pushed him up. Composition was still good by the end of that, so we held there, came down just a little bit, and then pushed him up further. Got him up to 250, and then we we took a phase. I was like, listen, man, we're gonna have to diet down here. Like in order to continue moving forward, we have to get the the body fat off and just kind of reset you a little bit. So we dieted down to 220 from 240, and then. Uh, the game plan is to then, and we used gear, but I didn't want to go crazy with it. And of course, by the end of it, he's like, Hey, can we add this in? Can we add that in? Can we, you know, it's that it's not the, it's not the ultimate goal. You know what I mean? To get down to that 220. So we're not getting you completely stage lean. He's, although he is pretty lean right now. Uh, the goal is just to get you down and, and to maintain as much muscle, if not grow in the process. And, and also not mess you up so much that now you need two months off before we can get back on. That would be my, that's the way we've run it as an example. Yeah, that's a great point because when you have to take your body fat past down a certain level, there does come a, a time that you need to actually recover from that too. So yeah. with, with Chris, he doesn't want to compete. So we would take him down just lean enough for him to not actually feel the pinch too much. Don't get, it's got to be lean enough to gain, but not lean to the point where then we would need to spend time in recovery actually getting his body back to normal in a state where mentally is good and physically is ready to push. So yeah. that, that's another great point, really, because that's that's something not many people are aware of is when you diet and you get lean, lean, there comes a time where you need to kind of pay back the recovery tank a little bit over time. Well, I, w- I meant the gear-wise. We didn't w- I wouldn't, yeah. didn't want to take the gear up too high on that oh, that yeah. diet phase you know what i mean because it's like yeah, it's this isn't yeah. our goal so let's use what we need to to control it but i i totally agree you gave me credit for something i wasn't thinking but i appreciate well, that i i should have just not said anything and just take it <laughs> idea as well because he's going to need more gear to gain more muscle yeah it, it versus what he's going to need to actually hold the muscle there right so it doesn't make sense to go crazy with the gear in a diet phase when inevitably you're going to have a, a long period of time trying to gain after. So right. you need to almost save the tools up yes. in your back burner to add in to be able to grow. Because ultimately, if you can save all the sauce, all the ketchup and mayo for when you can, uh, <laughs> when you can grow with the food, you are going to get a much better response as well. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I, I'm getting this in my brain as a podcaster, Kuba. I'm getting this in my brain. I feel like... I mean, listen, if we are to do an educational segment and then we knock out some listener questions, we we do one or two uh, um, training critiques, like, man, we've got a show in front of us. That's a great freaking hour podcast, you know? Absolutely, man. I'm, I'm all for that. Happy days. Yeah. All right. And well, uh, listen, until then. The yeah. If, if any of the listeners want me to rewind on anything that I said or go deeper into anything that I've said today, just let us know. And we're more than happy to cover it. But I do have a few more points that I want to cover on training volume as well. Um, And understanding training volume for different phases too, for off-season, for prep, and for even, you know, your maintenance phases or what have you. So we can can dig deeper into that on next episode and we can cover a little bit more of uh, listener questions and whatever else people uh, want us to make clear because we did probably cover quite a lot that people are going to be a little bit lost with. So if you are lost with anything, let us know what you're lost with and we'll be able to get to it. I like that. And I knew Koopa, all it would be is just a matter of hitting the button and being like, all right, Koopa, go. And then you would take off. So this is, you were made for podcasting. You really are. I appreciate that, man. And uh, thank you for having me on. What, uh, where are, where can people follow you? Obviously, you know, Instagram, everybody's probably already following you there, but what else are you doing? How, how can people reach out and tell us about your gym and everything else too? Yeah, so generally Instagram and YouTube, that's where most of the content goes. Um, I've actually had a little bit of a break from YouTube because last week I actually had quite a few things lined up that I was going to film, ah. but I got struck off with the, with the flu. Oh, so, no kidding. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, uh, actually Dave came out to my house. And got you he, sick. That sounds like Dave. He gave me the IV, right? He gave me the IV. I, I, I have an IV from Dave every month. They're fantastic. Um, and literally within the hour of having the IV, I just felt, I felt like I was, I was going to pass out. I was huh. like, something's not right. I'm definitely sick. 
But the way I felt pretty much for four to five days and how high my resting heart rate was, it's definitely the uh, the, the 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 flu, if you know what I, if you know what I mean. Oh, that yeah. Well, it was yeah. probably a good thing you got the IV when you did that. It probably even helped, yep. you know. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah. Anyway, um, YouTube, Instagram, that's where I'm at mostly, and the the gym, Ultrafix Rotherham. Uh, and there will be an announcement for another gym coming your way soon, but I can't tell you about that just yet. I will all in good time, but for now it's uh, it's Ultrafix Rotherham. So. Yeah. When, Anyone when you say coming your way, do you mean coming my way? Like, well, not quite, Scott. Okay. Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Coming. I had to check. I had to check. All right. Yeah. Cool. When well, we appreciate it. When you're over in the UK, you'll have to check them out. Oh yeah, man. I've I've got to. How far are you from uh, from like Dave's area? So now he's moved. He's a little bit further away. So it's fifty minute drive from Dave. That's at nothing. The moment. Beautiful drive too. I'm sure. Oh, it's it's amazing. Can you take the train? Uh, I mean, I know could, Dave's Dave's not. Oh wait, Dave's old house wasn't by the train. I don't know if he's. Yeah, yeah. Does the train work? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Okay, yeah. My wife and I are going to come out eventually again. When we do, we're going to take like a uh, the entire train trip up from. Uh, we want to go from uh, down in London and come up through the north and see everybody up there, and then continue going and go to uh, Scotland. We want to check. She wants to see that. When you do that, let me know because there's actually a fast train that takes you from London to, 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 to our area. It only takes an hour and twenty minutes. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, it's 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 amazing. Yeah, huh. it's whenever whenever me and the wife want to go to London now, we always take that train because it's so nice. You literally sit down on a train, do a little bit of work, and yeah. you're there. As driving or regular train, it's like three hours, which is a nightmare. Yeah. So. Man, the train that I was on, it was nice. Like I got a, a nice first class ticket. You've got like, it's just like you get to kick back. You can eat some food. Like you said, do some work. You've got, uh, I think, was there Wi-Fi on the train? I can't remember. Yeah, Wi-Fi. Yeah. You've got all your plugs and everything. Like it's, it was a, it was classy, man. So that would be, that would be a fun trip for sure. But anyway, guys, like uh, Koopa said, comment, let us know what you think. And if you're interested in doing any kind of training critiques, which I know a lot of you guys are, Hit me up. Uh, you can reach out to me, McNallyDiets at gmail.com. Uh, that'll be in the description along with everything to reach out to Kuba and follow everything he's doing. Uh, reach out to us. Let's get some videos going and let's make this into a legit show. We'll be excited to see what happens. We don't have a name, but, uh, you know, it, it, like Kuba's Corner, that's a little too cheesy, I think. that uh, It rhymes. It's the first thing that comes to my mind, but I, I don't know. I don't know. You guys tell us, right? We'll, we'll, we'll figure something out. We'll figure something out. All right, guys, for another episode here at Think Big Bodybuilding Media, we'll see you soon.